Junior Church dismissed. Okay. So uh, the elders and I were talking a few weeks back because we knew Ken would be gone this week, uh, through the week, and um, Nathaniel Swain will be here next week. Um, he's completing an internship right now uh, at the church where Betty Giles attends in Canandaigua. He's finishing his Master's in Divinity. It's part of his graduation process there. He'll be sharing a message with you next week. Um, we talked about who would cover this week, and I said, well, where is Ken going to be at in the book of Mark? And he was able to finish that before he left. So we knew we would be all the way through the book of Mark. Um, I was sharing with someone yesterday at the Iron Sharpens Iron conference that as a church we had just gone through the book of Mark, and they said, oh, how long did that take? Um, and so here's, here's my stack of the things you get in the bulletin if you put them all in one spot. And uh, the first date I had was April 8th. So it has been a number of weeks here. I recognize that some of you are joining us today, maybe even, or you've missed some of those. I realize that in August we missed a couple, but they are online. So if you are reading through the book of Mark, maybe you want to do that again sometime. Read the whole book. It'll take you a few days, maybe. Um, but as you go through, say, oh, I wonder what the message was like on such and such chapter. You can find those on the church website. Um, so I want to give you a summary of Mark. And uh, we talked as elders. How, how would you summarize that? Because there's no way any preacher is going to preach the whole book in one one half hour session. So um, let's look again at the fill in the blanks that Ken gave us. I'll just read that to you. You don't have those today. Uh, some thoughts I had on the book of Mark. John Mark is the writer. It's written from Peter's perspective on the, the life of Christ and the things that they experienced. Uh, the audience, Jews, Gentiles, the, the Roman Empire of that day. Themes, could you name a theme for the book of Mark? Following Jesus, Jesus is the suffering servant king. He's the king that we need to understand how we would follow him. Uh, key verse, I think that we have on your outline. Uh, many people would say, verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think many folks would find that as, as a key verse out of the whole book. Um, some other key concepts emphasized in the book of Mark. Uh, maybe you've noticed there's no origin story. It doesn't tell us how Jesus got here as far as his birth and those kinds of things. You would need to read that in one of the other Gospels. Um, but it is very clear through the book that he's pre-existing. He's always been. Uh, he is the creator. Um, the text of the book of Mark focuses on the ministry of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and maybe on the theme of urgency, and I'll just point out to you the, the use of the word immediately, 41 times in the book. It was urgent to do something about these things, or it seemed urgent, or uh, John Mark was saying what Jesus was doing had purpose, and he was here to get some things done. Okay, so immediately, urgently. Um, so that's kind of the, the way we should look at the book of Mark. It is shorter than the other Gospels, so as you go through it, you kind of get the whole picture a little bit, a little bit more condensed, but there's definitely a lot there. All right, so Ken's paragraph, I'll read through this because we kind of joked about, yeah, it's kind of like a quiz. If I gave you all of Ken's statements, would you be able to fill them in? And maybe we, re we rehearsed it enough, you could probably get most of them. All right, Jesus, the suffering servant king, 100% God, 100% man, truly God and man. Jesus was opposed and rejected by the Jewish leaders. Jesus' mission was to suffer and to die for all people. He didn't come to be a political leader and do things the way man thought he was here to take care of things. He came to suffer and die for all people. Following Jesus means self-sacrifice. Maybe there'd be new, new priorities for us to think about because of what he was here to show us. Uh, Jesus showed and taught his disciples his identity. And he showed his followers who his identity was. Basically, by showing his power, he was showing he had God's power. 
just even simply that way. Uh, Jesus is betrayed and arrested, uh, arrested secretly. It was interesting to kind of think of how that went. Maybe the disciples felt like, what, he's giving up? I thought he was here to do some amazing things. Um, Jesus' crucifixion brought reconciliation. Uh, maybe the gospel message to you gets kind of abbreviated. Jesus came, died for my sins, he paid the price of my sins. And do we stop there? We need to remember the, the end of the gospel as a, as a total um, that the crucifixion and his resurrection is what brings new life. Uh, the last fill in the blank, Jesus' resurrection brings new hope, uh, new life. And I think we get bogged down in this world. I think we get bogged down and even depressed at times. And we forget about new life, new, new hope. And you say, well, is the gospel just for evangelism? No, it's for the believer every day. Okay, so we need to think about how to apply the gospel to all of us. Whether you're exploring this and saying, well, I've got to figure out who Jesus is. Or you say, no, I'm born again. I accepted him into my life. I've been walking with him for a number of years. You have to decide, this gospel message, is this useful for me today? How do I respond to that? Um, let's just take a definition of the gospel. And I'm glad that Ken read this a couple weeks ago. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. And I do want to read these because I want it to be clear to you. When I say the gospel or Jesus, Jesus came to present the gospel message, the good news, the hope he, he came to present this to us. What, what does it mean if Steve keeps saying the gospel, respond to the gospel, respond to Jesus? This is what I'm talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. And I guess I would give you this challenge. I was not going to take the time to show you a YouTube video, but Matt Chandler has like a two-minute YouTube video on defining the gospel. And it's kind of fancy with the colors and the words floating by and all that stuff. But could you put the whole gospel on an index card? Are you ready right now to do that? Quiz yourself. Try it. Be ready. Okay? Can you put that all in one short spot? Okay? Um, But here we have it kind of condensed in these verses. 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll read 1 through 10. Now I have made known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believe it in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the Twelve. And... After that, he appeared to more than 500 men at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all, to the untimely one born. Uh, He appeared to me also, that's Paul, for I am the least of the disciples, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Um, So basically he's saying, I was lost. I I was so lost, I persecuted anything to do with Jesus. And here I am, new life, completely different. And this is the message I passed on to you. And he's expecting that we will pass that on to others. And he's saying, isn't it amazing? Jesus isn't dead. He appeared to all these people. Like, to me, one of the amazing things, and it's not so much in the book of Mark, but in the other Gospels, I love the road to Emmaus. Okay, I'm a science guy, a chemistry guy, and I want to know how that happened. How does he come back and put all his atoms back together? And he walked with them and talked to them, he even ate with them. Like, how, how does that happen? 
Okay, that's amazing to me. Are you amazed by the gospel? Or is it just like, oh, we're in church. I expect to hear the gospel. Somebody's going to have an invitation at the end of the sermon. We're going to hear that Jesus died, all the Sunday school answers. And it's almost like, uh, well, here we go, the gospel again. Can we study something else? And I, I would hate to not be amazed at the gospel, like to have that perspective. I want to keep that amazement every day about the gospel for me, even though I've accepted Christ as a young person and, and by his grace walking and trying to walk in this new life. Um, I want to keep that amazement. So my question today is basically, what's our response to Jesus? What is your response to the gospel? Now some of you are saying, this is really kind of new for me, and I wasn't here for all these months studying the book of Mark. It's time to start reading the gospels and start focusing in on what Jesus presented to us. So what I'm going to do is we're going to bounce through the book of Mark today, and I'm just going to look at some of the people, okay? Some of the people and how they responded to Jesus, which ultimately is showing us how they responded to the gospel message. Now, you might say, at times I've said this, why was that person in the Bible? Do you ever have that kind of question? Or why did the account of Jesus' conversation with that person end up canonized? Why, why is that in the word we have today? I'm sure there were so many people that interacted that at times we just had to say the crowds. But at times there are specific people where the interaction is recorded. Did you ever stop and ask yourself why? Why did they include that one? Okay? Like it's kind of comical to us and we chuckled with... Uh, let me find the reference here. I think it's Mark 14.51. Who's in Mark 14.51? A young man that was following to see what was happening when Jesus was arrested. What happened to him? He showed up wrapped in a sheet, and he, they were going to capture this kid too and find out what he knew about Jesus, and he had to escape naked. It's kind of like funny, right? We chuckle like, well, why did that get put in there? Okay, well, the scholars tell us that this was probably the author of this book. That might have been John Mark. So it's kind of fun to look and see why, why were certain people in here. But how about this? How did the people react to Jesus? Okay, how, what was their reaction? How did they respond to this? Now, again, we do have the fortunate perspective of looking back. And we say hindsight's twenty twenty. So I can look back at the gospel now. I do see the whole picture so in fairness to these people that we're going to talk about today, remember they're in it at that moment and they're trying to decide what's happening and we want to look at that and say, well, how did they respond to Jesus? How do I respond? Now I see the whole story and how do I respond to Jesus, to the gospel message, to what he came to show us. All right, so we'll go through some responses to the gospel. The first one is amazement. Um, obviously the crowds had amazement as to what was going on. Um, it says they were amazed at his teaching. Uh, let's go to Mark 1 if you want to hop around. I, I told Brooke good luck here because I'm going to just pick verses here and there. It's like skipping a stone across the book of Mark. We just want to look at some of the people and how did they respond to this. Uh, Mark 1.22. They were amazed at his teaching and he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. There's something different about his teaching and they were amazed with this. Mark one twenty seven, And they were amazed so much so that they debated among themselves, what is this? What is this new teaching? It's with such authority. It's like so confident. Like it's, it's like something we really should pay attention to. Um, this new teaching is with authority. He commands and even the unclean spirits, they, they obey him. Or they respond. Or obviously they're seeing them getting cast out of people. Um, let's go to uh, Mark 5 in just a moment here. Uh, he healed a paralytic, and they were amazed again, glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Amazement. Okay? 
Um, the pig owners, how'd they respond? You're messing with my economy, man. Okay, you killed all my pigs. You sent them over the cliff. They were frightened. They were in awe, struck with amazement. And how did they react? They said, Jesus, get out of here. You're messing with my life. Now think about it today. Are there people that don't want to hear about Jesus? He's going to mess with my life. Stiff arm, okay? So think about it. You know, they, they're in the midst of this, and maybe it's a little different context of life, but think about how people might react to Jesus. In amazement or this is messed up, get away from me. Now, let's look at the demon-possessed man in the verses in Mark 5. You can skim through there with me. I won't read those, but verses 15 to 20. How did the demon-possessed man react to Jesus? He implores him that he might accompany him. Jesus, can I go with you? That's quite a different response to the gospel than some other people we see in the book of Mark. And again, one more time, the crowds were, everyone was amazed. All right, uh, how about the disciples? How did they respond to Jesus and what they saw him doing? Jesus says, hush, be still. The wind and waves respond, and the disciples are astonished, shocked, amazed. They're looking at the works of Jesus saying, what is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We see that in Mark 4. And the interesting thing, and I think we talked about this before, um, even though they saw this, they were utterly astonished. They had not gained any insight from the incident with the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So can we be amazed at what we're seeing, but still be hardened and not really react to that? I mean, I think we know things. We see things like, wow, that's really cool. And in this world, we're just moving on looking for the next cool thing. We don't stop and process that. We're just so, the world tells us, move on, next best thing, next exciting thing, next exciting thing. Wait a second, let's just look at this and say, am I hardened to what am I, I'm seeing or am I going to really process this? And even after the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus said, uh, do you not yet understand? So they were amazed and they were puzzled. But where did it go from there? Again, terrified, amazed, astonished, trembling. Look through the book of Mark and find how many times you find those words and ask yourself, am I amazed? Am I astonished? Am I, does the gospel still impress me like it did when I first came to understand the gospel? Or have I become passive about it? It's not so exciting anymore. I've moved on to the next exciting things in my life. Uh, what things are in awe and wonder in your life right now? Is it the fact that Jesus is alive? We sing songs about it. He's alive. He's alive, just not here right now. I'd like to see him again. I think it'd be weird if he did come back here because we might have some idea if he was here what we'd like him to do for us right now. And you might stop and think, what would I ask him for if he came back? Okay, or what would I be so amazed about that Jesus was right here with me that I'd want to talk to him about, that I'd really want from him? I wonder what it was like that the, uh, the demon-possessed man said, can I, can I go with you now? I wonder what was in his head. What was he thinking like, wow, can I go with you and learn more? I mean, I wonder what was in his mind. We don't know that, but it's kind of fun to think about that. All right, I think one of the most amazing, shocking, astonished moments is the women in Mark 16, one of the last verses we looked at in a recent sermon. Um, How did they react? Utter shock. Okay, what's next? Now, thankfully, we do know what's next after that, and the women and how they reacted. Um, amazed 
but we don't understand. So do we want to go with Jesus and continue to understand? Or we just say, well, that's pretty cool, and then we move on in life. I think there are people that maybe are nominal Christians that say, yeah, I know who Jesus is. It's pretty exciting what he did while he was here. Is that it? Anything that comes after that in your life? Anything exciting that should be happening now because you know that? Um, So it's interesting to ask yourself the question, what is that response of amazement like and what do we do with it from there? Um, Is my response of amazement to Jesus so strong uh, that it really stirs up my life or is it only strong when I'm having good experiences with God? Is my amazement with God only good when life's going good? Is my amazement of God and what God did still good and still a healthy, strong amazement even though I'm suffering through physical things? There's some practical questions to ask ourselves. Maybe you accepted the gospel as a younger person and some years have gone by. What's happening? Are you still amazed about the gospel or not? Okay, let's move on to another response. A response of acknowledging or denying the deity of Christ. Let's kind of, again, skip through the book. Let's find a couple people in the book of Mark and how they responded to that. Uh, Maybe also for this one, I kind of added to my own notes since uh, yours was printed. I kind of wrote here, Lordship or the King or a king in my life, the, the one that I really need to be honoring in my life. Do I acknowledge that, or do I deny that? Now the demons, it said uh, in Mark one thirty four, he was not permitting them to speak. Why? Because they knew who he was. They knew. They knew who he was. Okay, so we acknowledge who Jesus is. We going to do anything with that? Do we recognize him as God? Okay, the one in charge, the one that gave us life, the creator. How, how do we recognize him? You say, well, I, I know about Jesus. Well, the demons did. All right, uh, the man in the synagogue with the unclean spirit, that's also in Mark 1. And again, some of these verses in Mark 1, we've looked through a couple of these already. Uh, Mark one twenty three. Uh, just then there was a man in the synagogue... Uh, with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. All right, they knew who he was. That's good. Respond to Jesus. Yep, I know who he is. The Bible says God sent him here. Okay, but what else in our life? What, what does that really change in our life if we know that? I know in my mind who Jesus is, Jesus is, but am I really willing to submit to him as God, as deity, as 100% God? Am I willing to submit to that? Do I see him as Lord? Do I see him as a leader in my life, the one I most want to please? Am I really a disciple of Jesus, or I just know about him? What, what's your response to that? Um, the people, in general, we see a lot of places, the people. All right, uh, 127. Again, they were amazed... Okay, but they're asking, are we amazed because he's more than just a man? Are we, why are we amazed? Why are we amazed? Are we recognizing his deity? Are we recognizing him as God? Or what is this authority that he comes with? Is there something more here that we're supposed to recognize? Okay, and the people are rest, wrestling through that. How do I respond to this? Do I respond to this as God? He is God. Is there authority that, that I should submit myself to? So the Jews struggled through this, the validity of what he was teaching. Considering his teaching, do we acknowledge him as God or just another good prophet or good teacher? Like, how are we going to follow through with this? Uh, Some people in our world today, I'm going to throw this out here, it might seem a little bit out of line with my point, but anybody understand like the clockmaker's view of God or the watchmaker? You understand what I'm saying with this? There's this view that like, yeah, okay, 
God created things, but it's like he wound up the earth and everything it is, and he just set it in motion, and now God's gone off to wherever he is. Okay, well, Jesus is here. So there comes this point where you have to say, well, okay, I think about the world that way, like God has disconnected from all of this, but now I see this. How do you respond to that? Is God disconnected from us or not? Okay, and if Jesus is here, but he also rose again, and he's also alive, okay, well, is God out of the picture? Or is God still in the picture? Because I think a lot of people live like he's not. And again, lies that we've believed, that have been taught in the world, that are continue to be common philosophies among man. But do you see God as disconnected? He just set things up and walked away? Or do you recognize Jesus as God? He's here. He's been here. He's alive. Okay, how do we respond to that? Jesus has that authority then, that kingship. He's alive, the lordship in my life. Let's move on to the next response here. So not only amazement, and again, we we look at how they were amazed, but then we look at ourselves and say, today, am I amazed? Do I acknowledge that he's fully God? Or do I really think like the world does? He's, He's left, God's not really here. We're just on our own in this big mess. Okay? Or do I acknowledge, yeah, Jesus was here. He is alive. He rose again. He sent the Holy Spirit. I have this new life. God is very active in my life. God is very active in this world. Do I respond in a way of lordship? He's the king. He's the Lord of my life. I'm going to serve him. I'm a disciple. So the next response here is to follow. Now, obviously, the disciples, when called, action was immediate. Okay, we already talked about that word 41 times in Mark. Immediate. Simon and Andrew. I guess we're mostly in Mark 1 for right now. Verse 18. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets to follow him, immediately. Okay, we, we talk about obedience, we say we're going to train our children, obedience needs to be immediate. Why does obedience need to be immediate? Think about why would we, why would we think that way in our lives? Like when I sense God telling me to do something, I need to do it immediately. Why should we think that way? Let's look at how these people responded, okay, immediately. Uh, how about immediately as a priority, but also sacrificially? Okay, we have some other disciples. Um, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, immediately he called them. They left their father in the boat. They, they left or set aside, let's say to some extent, they adjusted priorities. I'm not just living to carry on my father's business, and that's the purpose of my life. Okay, that's a good thing to take care of your family. We wouldn't want to neglect that. But what priority is there? Um, And then later, Peter says later in Luke, Luke 18, Peter says, Behold, we have left our homes to follow you. We've we've left or reprioritized things to follow you, Jesus. Okay, these are the responses we have of following. And this is the way uh, they prioritized those things. They became more important to consider what God would have them to do. Okay, and again, we say, well, my faith and my walk with God, it's a private thing, it's inside my family, and I'll, I'll take care of that within my relationships. What is your priority? Is it just for you and your household? Or what is Jesus' priority? We want to call others to follow, not just the people under our own roof. Okay, so as a disciple, what does that following look like? And what are we called to do? We're called to encourage other people to follow. So maybe the question, why? Why follow? Why follow Jesus? I think we can look through Mark and find some people that were following him just to get healed. They weren't really sure he was here for any deity, spiritual reason. They're just following him for what he can do for them. I'm sure that was happening. In the crowds, surely that was true. 
uh, man-centered reasons. Follow Jesus and there, maybe there'll be some blessings in it for me. Okay, so you start asking yourself, why follow? Um, is the gospel just for me to enjoy? I follow Jesus because it makes me feel happier and more joyful. It's good for my life. Is that the only reason to follow? Why follow Jesus? Um, so again, here and now, uh, the Spirit leads us. If you're born again and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, Jesus promised to send his helper. Okay, you're not just following on your own. How do you follow? You follow when the Holy Spirit leads you. So the next question is, if I'm supposed to respond following, how, how do I hear what to do? How am I sensitive to what to do? Um, they were with him, obviously, at that time, and we know that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, so we ask ourselves today, how do I follow him today? Where is that leading coming from? When I read the Word, when I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit, those are the things that, that show us how to follow. The question is, do I? You say, well, I follow as long as things are going well. I follow if it's not too inconvenient. Okay, and then sometimes we have these wake-up moments. I don't know what that takes in our lives. It's different for each of us. Sometimes we have those wake-up moments and say, oh, wow, I guess maybe I'm just following selfishly for the things in my life. I'm following right now because it's good. I don't always follow when life isn't so good. And you have those wake-up moments and you say, wow, how am I going to go into the world and preach the gospel and encourage others to follow him when I'm struggling through that myself? Okay, so we have to ask ourselves, what... What am I willing in my own following to do? And am I radical? Am I willing to keep the right focus? Why am I following? Even ask myself what, what my motives are for following. Fully willing. Fully willing to hear and obey the Holy Spirit. Um, if you're not listening, you're passive. Uh, this came up twice or more at the Iron Sharpens Irons um, conference that many of us went to. Um, specifically in one of the, the speaker's uh, topics on being passive about the gospel. Okay? And one of the other ones was being passive about our obedience. And you say, well, maybe in my following I can just be passive because I'm not really paying attention, not really looking, not really asking. What is it that I need to do? The disciples were wrestling through that clearly because they're with him right now. Where is this going? What is he doing? And then they're shocked at the end. He gave this up. He died. That was a little different for them. But today we see the whole gospel. We know the whole picture. Christ is not dead. He resurrected. He's alive. He sent the helper. If we know that, we ought to be able to follow. Okay, the question is, how do I wrestle with that so I don't dismiss what's really important? I don't, I don't focus on things that are lesser importance. And again, it's important to care for your family. I'm not saying ditch your family and go on some crazy mission here. But again, it's kind of hard to prioritize, let's say your kids want to go to the mission field. We're, we're supporting missionaries that have taken young children and their grandparents live in Pennsylvania and we can communicate with them and the grandparents say, it's hard to send your grandchildren to a mission field. Again, what's the priority? Being with your grandchildren or the gospel? Those are hard decisions to make. But I think that as we follow, we need to consider those things because it is a sacrifice. All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, response of amazement. How amazed are we? Does the amazement phase? Do we get passive in that amazement? Do we get passive in trying to respond in a, yes, I'm willing to follow you, Lord? All right? Do we get passive even in that lordship and remembering he is God? All right. Uh, response of pride. All right, let's look at some people as we go through the book of Mark. And again, not anybody in particular, but maybe this is an interesting exercise for you. Go back through Mark and start looking at the people that were included. Why were they described to us? All right, we hear of the crowds frequently, okay? Um, but let's talk about the Jews, okay? The Jews, what were they expecting? 
They expected a certain kind of Messiah to come. Whatever that was that they thought in their mind that would look like. They thought someone that was going to come as the Messiah to be a political leader who was going to rescue them from the social system of the day, kind of set up the social system of the day to make things work for them as God's chosen people. Okay, they are God's chosen people, but we have to be careful not to be so human-centered that God's going to come fix the whole political system for us so that life will be great again. Okay, I think even ahead of us with voting this week, don't vote for somebody for the wrong reasons. Okay, be careful in how you vote, exercise your freedom, but what do you expect? I mean, if Jesus came and ran for political office, I'm not sure I just want a better president. I'm not sure I just want a better politician. I'm not, I'm not sure that's what I want. If Jesus came, I'd want him to fix what was here in us as individuals. I don't necessarily want him to come and fix all the systems, the social systems, the political systems. But again, the Jews had a little bit of a self-focus there, like this life will be better if Jesus could come fix these things. Okay, the Pharisees, um, they saw Jesus as... Um, someone that could come and fit into their way of things being. That's a pretty self-centered, man-centered perspective of the gospel. Why was Jesus here? Well, he came here, and if he's going to teach and do these things, he needs to fit into the way we do things. That's a pretty man-centered view of responding to what Jesus was here for, what he was coming to do, and they tried to make it work out that way. But Jesus basically told them, look, I'm here and you are trying to fit me into your tradition. I think it's Mark 7, 9. Um, You are expert at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. Like man's plans are more important than my plans. This is what Jesus is saying to them. So you have to ask yourself in your life, what have you set up in your life that's just so important to have your life a certain way that you're thinking Jesus is going to come step into this? Is that the view we should have of Jesus? That he's going to come step into the way I think life should be and then things will work better. Or at least if he's going to have to be in my life, then he's going to have to work things out, at least within these rules of how I think life should work. And I think that's a very man-centered way of saying, what was Jesus here for? What is Jesus all about? kind of leaves out the fact that he's God, that he should be able to direct what's happening here instead of us plugging him into what's happening here. Maybe there's something different he wants to do with our country. Maybe there's something different he wants to do with the people in office. Why don't we ask him and let, let him decide that, okay? Um, but again, praying carefully this week how we will vote. It's kind of hard to decide on that. Uh, Romans, how did they react to Jesus? I think they, they had a man-centered perspective too. They liked their political system. They liked being in charge. They were dominant at the time. Did they want Jesus to step into that? They didn't want him to come in and mess that up. Very man-centered perspective of who Jesus claims to be. And again, I think there are people in this world, as we share the gospel with them, they say, I'm not sure I want Jesus stepping in my life to mess things up. I like how it is. This is, this is the way my life works. I'm good with that. Don't let, don't let that guy step into my life and mess things up. He's going to tell me how it's going to have to be. And you see these kinds of reactions to the gospel. Okay, but again, even in our own hearts, as far as the traditions and the way we really want things to work out, the way we really hope things to be, the way we really want Jesus to deal with the issues of today, I'd like to see Jesus move in the hearts of individual people. That's, I'm, I hope that people will turn their hearts to God. Um, 
Maybe a better response. Let's turn this, this point around because pride is one of those hard things. It hits hard. It hits every one of us because we all have ways that we think we like life to be and try to figure out how God's going to step in there and help us with the way we want it all to work out. Uh, but let's take a little better response here and let's go with the boy's father. This would be in Mark 9. And I'm going to refresh my memory on these verses here. Mark 9. I think it's in the range of 15 to 24. And I want you to think about how the boy's father responded to what was happening. And again, you might see some amazement. You're going to see a healing here. But how did the boy's father respond? So I'll read uh, 15 to 24. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. Again, you wonder why it doesn't say what their motives were, what they expected from that. Uh, What are you discussing with them? Uh, He asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground... He began to roll and foam at the mouth. No kidding, because the spirit knew who Jesus was. Not surprised that that happened at that moment. He asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all these things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said to him, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That is a statement to me of humility to say, Jesus, I got this. I know who you are. Help my unbelief. And that hits me because I see that as humility compared to a lot of other things I see of crowds running to him, people wanting to be healed, people expecting something from him, people wanting Jesus to fit into their way, fix their problems. And We can study this more and we can have a conversation later if you're not so sure about that, but I like the fact that that man says, I do believe, help my unbelief. I recognize that I need to learn here. Okay, I need to learn about who you are and why you're doing these things. Um, Now, I thought back to one of Ken's messages, actually two of his messages here, about this, you know, issue of responding to the gospel with pride. Um, How do you respond to Jesus? And for us, in a practical way today, I thought it was a great list in two of these uh, outlines. Maybe you'll find them as you flip through your Bible case. Um, here and now, the gospel teaches me to set aside my perspective on these things and see this in a different way. Ken's encouragement to us was that the gospel teaches us to set ourselves aside and to serve. All right. So what do we sacrifice of ourselves? How do we deal with that so we don't come to the gospel and come to Jesus in a selfish way? How do we do that? It's put off, it's put on. So you say, well, what attitude or what perspective do I have to put off? Um, sacrifice self-assurance. Stop saying, I got this. Like, Jesus, I need you. Okay, put off, self, put off independence. Go in, go in this, I can do this. What about the body of Christ? What about your brothers and sisters? Sacrifice self-importance and significance. Stop trying to be somebody in this world. Like getting the next title, getting the next job, trying to be important, find your significance in things in this world. Just set that aside and say, I am less. God will do what he needs to through me. Okay, God, do what you need to through me. It's not me that needs to be important. I'm just that conduit. 
All right, sacrifice self-indulgence. The things that you're finding pleasurable in this world, set it aside. That's hard, okay? Be radical. Amputate those things. Break them off. What should be satisfying to you? Jesus. Okay, fellowship with him, worshiping him. Uh, Sacrifice self-justification. Stop trying to justify that you're right and you got this. Your logic is good. My plan is good. Look for his plan. Ask him what his plan is. Pray about his plan. You know, maybe you think your logic is correct on a certain issue. Pray. Maybe you're not. Okay, maybe Jesus has a different perspective on that. The word will tell us that you have a, have a perspective maybe that's self-centered but needs to be changed. Self-sufficiency. We're taught in America, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Get that college degree. Get a good job. Go out there in American dream. Get the big house and, and you can do this. And we, we pep talk each other into this self-sufficiency. Really? Okay, man cannot save himself. It, it's a miracle and a blessing from God. Like the gospel tells us to keep that in perspective. It's a miracle and a blessing from God. It's not you. Okay, self-promotion. James and John wanted to be important. We know how that went. Jesus reminds us that the demonstration Jesus gave to us was suffering servant, serving. Okay, uh, Even Jesus demonstrated stepping apart and praying to the Father. Step apart from all that. Keep your connection, your relationship with God, your Father. So again, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus would be a good thought to go along with this. And again, I think pride leads to being passive because pride puts us in a place where we're thinking about other things rather than active obedience. Okay? It puts us in a place where we're thinking about other ways to do things rather than God's way to do things. And I think that's something we all can uh, consider what that means in our lives as individuals. Uh, here's another point. We suffer so much in life because we think we can do this. I got this. I'll get through this. Even wrestling with temptation, fighting our flesh, I'll get through this. As a guy, you don't want to tell another guy you've been looking at stuff you're not supposed to. Like, we, we're afraid to confess those things to one another. Okay? We, I got this. I can get through this. We'll, we'll wrestle through it. Our parents got through this. We'll do it. We can, this, we'll, we'll just see how life goes and kind of get through this. It's self-sufficiency. Why do we suffer such frustration, even to the point of fatigue, stress, frustration, even depression? Why? Jesus is alive. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. Why don't we let him show us how to get through these things? Why do, why do we wrestle through it ourselves? Why do we try to fit Jesus into our way of fixing problems? I don't know. I'm asking myself the same questions. Why wrestle with it? Why wrestle with it? Why get so down on this? Like, he's alive. Isn't that exciting? I mean, I've got the Holy Spirit to guide me. I've got his words to read. He'll show me what to do. All right, so responding with amazement, responding with an attitude of deity, you know, God is Lord, Master, I can follow this, okay? Pride, ooh, better be careful here. How do we respond? And we see people both ways in Scripture responding to who Jesus is. Now, the reconciled life, respond, a response of the gospel, a response of Jesus being here, I have a reconciled life. There's joy. This is exciting, isn't it? We're like kind of ho-hum, like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's like, oh. Sometimes we get kind of run down by the world and we're not so excited about these things. I think that's why we come and sing about these things. I think that's why we come and have fellowship together around the Word. All right, so the crucifixion, it brought reconciliation. Okay, this should be exciting. We should have a desire to see other people understand that hope. Do you, do you want your friends to continue, even brothers and sisters in the Lord, do you want to see others continue to struggle through that frustration, stress, fatigue, even depression about trying to get through life's issues? 
No, we don't want to see each other suffer that way. So what's the remedy for that? We point back to the gospel. It's, you say, well, the gospel for a believer every day. Absolutely. It's like the vitamin you should take every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Jesus is alive. I have hope. I have new life. There are things that change instantly when you're born again. You pass from death to life. No hope to hope. Okay? On your own, God's power. Think of the things that change. Now, there's sanctification we grow through, but there are things that change. New hope, new life. My debt is paid. I don't have to pay that anymore. I'm not trapped in guilt over my sin. I'm free from guilt over my sin. Yeah, I know I did those things, but God forgets those things. He sets them behind his back. But we somehow want to live trapped in that. Like, well, I don't know if I can serve God because look at what, look at who I am. Okay, well, the other part of the reconciled life is Jesus resurrected. Where is Jesus? We heard this in the messages in the last couple weeks. Where is Jesus right now? And what is he doing? He's speaking on your behalf before God the Father so that God's wrath is not on you. Isn't that joyful? You don't have to be guilty and suffer the weight of that. If you're born again, there's an exciting freedom, right? And, God, and Jesus is there speaking on my behalf. That's pretty exciting. Now, I'm not an animated theatrical person here. I'm really excited inside, but I'm just trying to keep my thoughts straight, okay? So I hope you're excited about that. All right, the centurion. Let's go to uh, Mark 15. And again, I struggled in Mark to find the best illustration for this. Maybe you can think of someone else for this as you study the notes. But this reconciled life, this joy of the reconciled life. Mark seems to be a book that stops abruptly. Okay, maybe in one of the other Gospels you can find some people that are pretty excited about this. Probably into the book of Acts you can find some people in the early church that were very excited about this resurrection of the Savior and this new life and this new excitement when the Holy Spirit came and the stirring up that the Holy Spirit was. I'm sure we can find some other examples. I wrote down in Mark just to find an example, Mark 15 and uh, 37 to 39. And I guess it goes on from there. We'll start in 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Again, I struggle to find the best example in the book of Mark for this. But if your response to the gospel is, gift for me, I accept this gift, I'm born again and I'm walking with Jesus. The response to the gospel is a joyful, reconciled, absolutely sure. He is God. He sent the helper. I have his strength. Make a list. Is it not exciting? There should, the word passive should not be at all ever associated with gospel. It should be exciting and I should be doing something with this because I'm so filled with this newness of life that the Holy Spirit's working with me, working through me, sanctifying me. This should be like, should be something happening there, okay? Should be exciting. So the resurrected life, and again, we don't know a lot about this particular centurion. Uh, there's other centurions met, mentioned in Mark, but again, truly, and again, it's a very settled statement, truly. This man was the Son of God. That is a very settled statement. Peace. Confidence. God is with us. Yeah, some people say, Jesus isn't here right now. No, he is. He's alive. He's just not right here right now. He's alive. And to me, that's a confidence and peace that many people don't have. 
Okay, so if that is true of us, what is your response to the gospel? And every time we're here, hearing someone preach the gospel, singing a song about the gospel, this should kind of be our response. And again, knowing you're not doing this walk on your own. Okay? Um, Again, I like the road to Emmaus when their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That's exciting. I've always been amazed since I was a young person. You mean Jesus walked with them? He came, he died and it was resurrected and then they're walking down the road and they realize, oh, oh man, that was him. That's exciting. That's kind of odd, but it's an exciting thing for me to remember to keep my response to the gospel alive and joyful and fresh. Okay, so again, we ask you, what, what's your response to the gospel? We'll wrap this up and move on towards the communion part of our service here. Um, again, where are you at with those things? Because... You're a crowd. Why did you come to church? You know, why, why do you come here? Because, well, well Jesus isn't here. You're not going to come here to get healed. I understand that. But think about all the crowds. Why did they come to Jesus? What was their reason? Uh, think of the people that saw him and were asking the question, is he really God? Maybe you're asking that question. You've heard some of these messages with Pastor Ken over the last couple months. You're asking that question, is he really God? Is he really alive? I mean, ask yourself that question. How, how's the following going? You're here because you're curious. You're amazed. And this is like, wow, this is really interesting. I'm curious. But it hasn't hit your heart yet. It's still rolling around in your brain of amazement. But it hasn't hit here yet. Okay? The following. Okay? You say, well, yeah, I'd like to follow God. But, well, I, I hope he can work out my life. Because i got a lot of questions about what's coming next. You know, college and work and marriage and kids and you know i got a lot of questions about what's coming next i hope i can fit jesus into all this hold on Uh, maybe you're wrestling through that right now where are you at on these responses and it's individual for each one of you Um, but again there should be in your life no attitude of i'm just stuck you shouldn't be stuck there there is no stuck okay there's hope there's peace there's help by the Holy Spirit, there's new optimism, there's growth, there should be gratitude for what Christ has done. All of those things should be present in the way that we respond to the gospel. And again, probably one of the big ones is there's therefore no now, now no condemnation. You're not condemned. Jesus is there interceding for you. That's pretty exciting. Okay? Now, I'm going to move down below here in just a minute. I want to read you um, the lyrics to a song. You say, well, song's not scripture. Yeah, but a lot of songs are written from scripture. We, we really like the traditions of our hymns, okay? And hopefully they've been written from the right place. And uh, if I gave you the name or the group for this band, maybe you wouldn't, I don't know how you would respond to that. But anyway, let me read um, the words to this song uh, as we move on to the communion part of our service here. Uh, the song is called Nailed to the Cross. And again, I'm going to give you this challenge can you put the gospel on an index card? Because if you're regularly preaching the gospel to yourself, you're regularly thinking about what is my attitude of him being Lord? What is my attitude of following? What is my attitude of being in charge or him being in charge? What is my attitude of joy in this resurrection? If you're asking yourself those questions, you're going to need to preach the gospel to yourself regularly and think about why do I have this joy? Why is this so exciting? So here's a little song, and this, this person wrote down, Uh, When I stand accused by my regrets and the devil roars his empty threats, 
I will preach the gospel to myself, for I am not a man condemned, for Jesus Christ is my defense. My sin is nailed to the cross, my soul is healed by the scars. The weight of guilt I bear no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer and I will get started here in just a moment. If the gentleman would come up that I asked to help me out. Lord, we are thankful today that as we sing and as we look into your word, we can respond to this good news. It's a rescue plan. Jesus came because man did not know what to do other than religious routine, other than political systems, other than man's ideas. Man didn't know what to do about their situation, and this rescue plan happened. Jesus came. He was the perfect sacrifice who took the, the punishment, the consequence of our sin. We need to ask ourselves, how are we responding to that? And we may be here in church, even having heard this so many times, we're thinking another message about the gospel. And just forgive us for not being as, as sensitive and excited and cautious to think, what does the gospel mean to me every day? And I pray that you'd keep us uh, sensitive to that, especially as we're here to remember uh, by way of the communion table uh, that you showed us through what you did with the disciples. This is the way we will remember what you have done for us. First of all, that it is finished. It was done. Your grace has been provided, and we do this to remember that grace. Knowing this table itself isn't going to be any act of man that can bring that grace about in our lives. Help us to just remember and be confident, be empowered, be excited, and be ready to follow and serve you because of these things that we have reflected upon today. And we are thankful in Scripture that you chose just the right people to record, just the right responses to Jesus that we would contemplate these things today. So again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.